This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listener, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I'm John. Joining me as always is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And Mo. Hey, everybody. In this episode, we're going to be digging in deep on the evolution of digital storage, the way that we kept all of our computer games and all of our media backed up or didn't back it up, as the case may be, (laughs) and how that's changed over the years. But before we get into that, this is always a great time to look into our mailbag and see what we've heard from our fourth listener. And our fourth listener this episode is Tom. Subject line of his message is binge listening. Oh, like it already. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Tom says, hi, guys. Just thought I'd drop you a line to say thanks for continuing to produce your podcasts. My son and I are crossing the desert southwest, so I downloaded a bunch to listen or re-listen to. Not only are they good fun to play, but spawned great conversations that helped us pass the time. Wow. Cool. Our mission is done. That is amazing. You know, to help you better connect with this generation, talking about Gen X, we're not just the old guys. We're old guys who, we had a pop culture, we had the games we played and stuff too. If that helped you to better connect to your son, then fantastic. Love it. Our mission here is done, like most said. Are you going to start crying now? I might. Let's just shut up. It's just something. I, I think it's dust in here. I, I think Pixar should totally make a movie about us. But why not? Yeah. Just of course. Tom goes on to say, next travel center we stop at, we're buying a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Tom, we thank you so much for writing in. We sure appreciate you took the time. And we thank all the fourth listeners. But now it's time to get into the backtrack. Most people today are not familiar with computer punch cards used in very large computer systems except perhaps as seen in very old movies, such as The Billion Dollar Brain. Hello, Gen X grown up. I'm Matt Man. I'm Tom at Two Stars. And together, we're the Deep, Deep Fried, Fried Geeks. Geeks. A weekly podcast where we talk about movies, comics, TV shows, food, gaming, and general geek news. That's right. Sometimes, we even have celebrity guests. Oh yeah, like who? Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. How is it? How is it? How is it? The Incredible Hulk. Hulk want to sit here while we pod. Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> you guys are the funniest guys in the world. <laughs> Christopher Walken. You know, I've never been on a better podcast. I think I like it a lot. And Gollum from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so if you like loudmouths. You guys are a little bit too awesome for your taste, but you know what? That's okay anyway. Then make sure you check us out anywhere where you listen to your podcast. Keep calm and geek on. All righty, it's ready to dive in. I've been looking forward to this backtrack for a while, talking about the evolution of digital storage. And we're talking about ones and zeros, <laughs> what yeah. I use to store my computer games, to my data, stuff like that. 
and it has changed a lot over the years. And I have what I selfishly think are amusing anecdotes about <laughs> my memories of you uh, say so yourself. <laughs> my digital storage media. Yeah. We're specifically not talking about all storage medias. I mean, music, for example, and movies have all had their own. There's some cross-pollination between them, of course. We're talking here specifically about data storage and usually computer data storage here. So set the baseline, have some parameters, and now we know where we're going. <laughs> Very technical. I know that George loves my Rod Serling impression, so travel back with me, if you will. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rod Serling's like, no, not even close to you. <laughs> When we're talking about digital storage, we're talking about ones and zeros. We're talking about the ability to remember data somehow. And I think probably arguably the origin of that is punch cards. And punch cards and punch tape came from uh, like the 1700s where they would use them to remember patterns on like textile looms. That's not really data, but they were remembering something that today would be data. And it was ones and zeros. Yeah, I mean, it's data. Yeah. It was, so you have a, you know, you've got a card and you either punch a hole and that's a zero or you don't punch a car, a hole and that's a one or vice versa. Punch cards were kind of almost, I guess the origin, you know, as we're storing that. It's like kind of similar to like the player pianos too. Exactly right. I mean, they had a roll of tape yep. that yeah. basically played and it made music. I mean, my school used to use punch cards for tests and things sure. like that when yeah. I was a kid. Oh, scantrons. It was digital in that it was ones and zeros. It wasn't electronic yet. Yeah. When I was looking back for research for this, <laughs> something I found really interesting was in the 1880 census. Of course, you know, the census that uh, they go out and they survey people all over the United States and they, you know, find out about how many people in the household and you know, education level and number of children and all that stuff. They took that 1880 census in 1880, oddly enough. Oh, huh. It took them 13 years to tabulate the results of the 1880 census. Wow. That's a lot of lunch breaks. It is. Right. Right. <laughs> in the meantime, that crossed over the 1890 census. So they didn't get the 1880 results until 1893. It took them 13 years to get the results <laughs> for the first one. In 1890, they did another one. For that one, they used punch card technology. It took them one year to get the 1890 results. Wow. So they had the 1890 done before 1880. Yeah, you got exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so it took them 13 years, then one year. How long is it going to take them to give us the real results of the presidential election that we had? <laughs> is that, that going to be 13 years? The, we... the, the hanging Chad one? Or are you talking about the most recent one? No, no, no. The recent one. Because <laughs> oh. nobody's still sure on what that one was. I think we get four <laughs> years. We'll find out the results of that one. Yeah, really. <laughs> now, so punch cards and punch tape. And then in the mid 40s, they started adding in tube storage. Now, I'm not just talking about tubes for power, but like electrostatic cathode ray display tubes storing data while they were lit. They were storing data in those? Yeah, it, was, huh. it blew my mind too. You know, I'm like, I want to wow, I want to sound vaguely educated during the backtracks. So I'm like, research and I learned something. Huh. But it was only when they were charged, of course. I mean, as soon as they lost power, it'd be like RAM today. You know, RAM is volatile. When it loses power, it loses what's in it. And these tubes, they could store data that way too. I'd never even heard of that before. I hadn't either. No. You know, when I think about punch cards in this early digital storage, I always think about one of my favorite TV shows slash old radio shows, Dragnet. <laughs> Just the facts. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Webb. Oh, what a great show. They had a data division and they would go in and they had, all right, we have the MO and we've got their age and their height. And they have all these a little sea of people in the data department, all these young ladies sitting there and say, can you get us a result of number of people that match this description? And they got a room full of punch cards and computers like, yep, we should be able to get it for you in about three days. 
<laughs> because they, they've got to pour through they all. Consider that amazing, I know right? it was. Yeah. That's why they highlighted it because they had this data they could go through. But uh, in Dragnet, it, for them, that was cutting edge tech. They couldn't just go to Google. Well, here's the thing about Dragnet. <laughs> yeah, Google. Maybe. Okay. So Dragnet was a little older. So maybe they had to use Ask Jeeves instead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they had to go to AOL and. <laughs> George, after the show, we're going to do a little timeline lesson on exactly when these things happen. But <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> that predated a little bit. Yeah, they might have had to do Alta Vista even. Yeah, Dragnet was. <laughs> Why panic when you can rely on Maxell's Super RD2 floppy disks? With their distinctive multi-layer liner, unique disk surface treatment, and dustproof anti-static flex shutter. Reliability and durability are guaranteed. The Maxell Super RD2, the disk you can rely on. Could you use a helping hand on your next electronics project? Quad Hands is the ultimate third hand helping hands vice and hobby station. The first thing you'll notice is how heavy a quad hands is. It's made from solid steel and then coated with a baked on powder coat for a durable finish. And the rubber feet are gonna keep it from sliding on your bench and give you a nice sturdy work surface. Those flexible all metal gooseneck arms feature rotating alligator clips to hold your boards and wires firmly in place. And removable silicone covers come pre-installed on those clips to protect those delicate wires and boards. And those arms can be put anywhere you need them. No fumbling around with awkward joints that are difficult to position. The quad hands was designed to help you do your best work it's built to last right here in the USA and backed by a lifetime guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Order yours today from Amazon or quadhands.com. Gen X Grown Up podcast listeners can save 20%. Just use offer code GENXUP20. That's G-E-N-X-U-P-2-0. For your next project, let a quad hands hold what your hands create. Let's move now into where digital storage really starts to mean something to us as Gen Xers growing up. And that was when we all first got our home personal computers. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily, I got mine in the uh, you know late seventies, early eighties. So I wasn't using punch cards or <laughs> tube storage, as we described. <laughs> but the number one way, the cheapest way to store your programs and back it up, I was using a cassette. Yeah, I was too. So was I. And we've alluded to cassette storage a little bit in the past. First, it's linear, which is a pain in the ass. Yeah. So if you have mm-hmm. two programs, you got to fast forward till the counter to a certain place. Oh, that counter was the bane of my existence. <laughs> yeah, that counter is never accurate. <laughs> no. And you forget to hit the button to reset to it reset when you put it, in like, a new tape. Oh, yep. then you're trying to do maths to get to the spot you need to. That right. never worked. And you know, buying cassettes was, you know, often the the market for cassettes was trying to make longer and longer tapes, like yeah. you know, 45 minutes and 90 minutes. I was always in the market for those five minute tapes. Right. You, know, if you could find those. Right. Because they were higher quality and would last longer. They were higher quality. It would last longer. But the other reason was often I didn't want to have to do all the fast forwarding and rewinding. If I could just have one program on a side. It was so much easier. A faster rewind. Sure. You didn't have to like fast. Let's fast forward to 443 feet of tape and then do this. You don't have to do that. You know, so those short ones were good. How many of you guys stuck that cassette tape into a real cassette player just to hear it? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, on my (laughs) Atari, you could hear the sound that was coming through it. Oh, and it was, yeah, it was just, well, oh God, it's worse. I'm going to say it's worse than that modem sound. Yeah. Let me say that it actually, now thinking back, it's a musical sound because it it sounds like my childhood. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrible, noisy, grindy, bleeping and stuff. Eventually, we all evolved past cassettes. And and George, I remember you talking about you were Hollywood. You had a 
dual diskette system, Ooh. double floppy disks, right? Dude. So for my Commodore 64, I had two of the 1541 drives. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I those remember were nice. lucky to have one. Were those like the five and a quarter drives or? <laughs> yeah, the five and a quarters. Mm-hmm. They were really nice. And that was what I ran all my games off of. And But the reason why I got a second one was because I ran a bulletin board system off of it. And Oh, right, right, right. I mean, you needed that extra disk space because originally, <laughs> you know, the disks were, they were only single sided. They weren't double sided. Mm-hmm. And the drives could only read one side at a time. You're not going to be yeah. sitting there flopping sides anyway. Right. The floppy started in 1971, introduced the seven inch floppy. Yep. I have laid my hands on those. I've seen them. <laughs> Best year ever, 1971. You're a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> they look like beasts. They're huge. I can't imagine. Yeah, they're massive. Are the seven inch floppies the ones that are in War Games, the movie with. Uh, yes, yes, exactly right. Where yep. the Whopper computer, those are seven yep. inch. Yep. Matthew right. Broderick, yep, yep. he has one of those sitting right. in his. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. But the ones we're talking about, the most common ones when we're growing up, came out in 1976, and those are that five and a quarter inch floppies. Yeah, very popular. Yep. I remember, so you were talking about first, they were single density at first, and they'd be double density. Right. And then if you paid extra, they'd be double-sided. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> double-sided, double density even. That yep. was the gold standard. Yep. Now, oddly enough, there's a guy that I work with. He still has seven inch floppies, five and a quarters, and three and a halves. In his office. Just because? He's using them or he just he, like collects them? So he's kind of like a digital computer pack rat kind of hoarder nah, guy. Okay. okay. Hoarding. Got it. Yeah. He doesn't hoard like newspapers or dead cats or anything like that, but digital <laughs> sports <laughs> media, <laughs> just for some reason... He loves digital storage media, so he keeps, and some of his boxes are still unopened, like still in the original cellophane wrapper and everything. So, oh, man. Yeah, he's just held on to it, and he's like, I know I'm never going to use it, but I just can't make myself let go of it. He was in the Navy and was a sonar operator, so he was involved with technology from a very early, yeah, yeah. So it's not that he's using them on a daily basis, but he keeps them around. Yeah, absolutely. They make him feel good. I get it. Yeah, I get it. My old tech too. makes me feel good, too. Do you guys remember also, because with the floppies, you had to have like some sort of thing to hold them all in, right? They wouldn't have those the cup, like the sleeve oh, yeah. things. Oh, and, man. Yeah. Well, first you had the sleeves, and they were paper right. sleeves, or later had these nice Tyvek sleeves. Yeah. That I never knew what Tyvek was until I had floppy disks. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was till you just said it right now. Well, it's the it's it's like the envelopes, right? It's uh, yeah. it doesn't scratch. It's kind of a slick paper, but it doesn't tear right. easily. It doesn't scratch, and so and it doesn't get dirty very easily. So it wouldn't have dirt that would scratch up the disc because the five and a quarter uh. discs were open to the outside world. That little window never yeah. closed. That's right. So if you got dirt or sand or something in there, or spit or tacos or Dorito <laughs> dust or anything in there, <laughs> it, would, it would ruin the disc. So you had to put them in a sleeve, and then you had to put them right mo in boxes. That I would stack up to the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And some of them, if they were a good box, they would have like a little index line on the side of it. So you could oh, say yeah. what with like A to Z of this or Q to F or whatever, you know. I mean, you right. could write stuff on the side I feel like a businessman. Like I had a Rolodex. I'm flipping through my yeah. discs. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm like, oh, let's go down to the Ds and flip back there. And I, I was notorious about indexing and labeling uh, and putting, you know, mm-hmm. alphabetizing because even if I didn't go to those discs, I wanted them in order and easy to find because if somebody said, do you have? Yeah, I've got that and I can hand and it back to Back then, them. they even built special shelving for discs that, you know, you would go to your Kmart back then, not Walmart, but you would go there and they would have 
shelves that they had the specific heights for the different the right disc height. sizes, right? You know, and the depth of the shelf would be exactly right for the, the box of discs. Disc as it was yeah. sticking on its side. Yeah. It's amazing to me how whole industries built up around this digital storage offshoots, furniture, oh, and for sure. those envelopes you're talking about, and sticky labels. And, you know, oh, yeah. People were even selling special pens and stuff, you know, to write on the labels. Like, you know, if you I use this those. pen, you yeah. won't damage your yeah. disc, right? Speaking of like the move of the floppies, I mean, when they finally came down to those three and a half, where you had that little protective sliding thing. So that right. It had, the, it had the metal window that would slide right, open. So it yep. wasn't exposed anymore. That was a huge step up from the five and a quarters. Yeah, the three and a half inch floppy came along in 1980. And I, I was stuck in the world of five and a quarters for all the way up until I got my Amiga in probably 86 or seven, about 88. I don't know when I got my first Amiga, but that was the first exposure to the three and a half inch floppy. And that was a huge shift because I was used to cutting out right protects yeah. and taping over right, right protects. And now you have first the window that opens and closes. And then you have the nice little uh, right protect notch that you can click down and click up. Back then, it, you were still explaining to people what RAM was and what ROM was and what hardware is. Uh, I don't know if you experienced this, but a lot of people had a misconception. They thought a five and a quarter floppy was a floppy disk, and they thought the three and a half inch was, was a, a hard, hard disk yeah, because hard it disk. wasn't right. floppy. Because <laughs> it had the clamshell. Because yeah. it's not floppy. I'm like, no, it's still a floppy disk. He's like, well, why isn't it floppy? I'm like, no, 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 you understand. It is floppy. <laughs> it's just floppy inside. Yeah, it's right. It's inside right. of a hard case. Like, well, they just ought to call it a hard disk. I'm like, no, there's another thing called the hard disks. <laughs> right, because what I always explain to them, the thing you're holding in your hand, that's just the shell. What's right. inside of it is the disk. Think of a record being round. There's a round thing inside this square thing that you're holding. And that's the part that it's referring to when it talks about floppy disks. It's a floppy round disk on the inside of this square shell, whether it be a slightly bendable shell like the five and a quarter mm -hmm. or the rigid shell of the three and a half. To put some sort of like maybe some context around this, like the three and a half inch floppy at its the most, it had 144 meg that you could store on it. Yeah, no, no. 1.44 meg, right. wasn't it? Yeah. 1.44 meg, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So today to have a phone that has 256 gigabyte, it's not that uncommon, right? Right. How many three and a half inch floppies do you think it would take to store the same amount of information? Don't make me do the math. Tell me. 2,400 and change? 182,000. 182,000 three and a half inch floppies. To store the same amount as a 256 gig phone. Wow. I might have bought that many historically over time as I was. <laughs> you know, floppy disks were like a commodity. Yeah, they were. Was, we talked about this with VHS. For me anyway, and probably for you guys too. Like when you go to the store, it's like, well, I need milk. I need bread. I need bologna and I need floppy disks. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh shit, I'm out of money. I don't really need the milk. So I'll get the floppy <laughs> <Yeah>. disks. <laughs> Did you guys like reuse, like know how AOL used to constantly send you those disks in the mail? Oh, hell yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would notch yeah. out that sucker so I could write to it. And I'm like, yes, they sent me a new floppy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. They didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they knew it. They knew. They were just hoping there were fewer of us out there than there were of the people who were like, oh, let me put this disk in and take me right, to AOL. Were. Yeah. They'd put it yeah. in and it didn't work right off the bat. They didn't know you had to put the notch in it. They knew. <laughs> they were capitalizing. One of my favorite things about the three and a half inch floppy disk that I really enjoyed, just this weird, satisfying thing. I don't know why. Some people, when they get a lighter, they just enjoy, you know, striking the flint with the wheel on the lighter. And, you know, if you have a pin, maybe you like clicking the button. Mm -hmm. With the three and a half inch floppy, I used to like to hold it in my hand, almost like 
the trigger of a gun so that my thumb was up against the side of the floppy disk. Yeah. And I would use my index finger to pull that window back and let to it flip snap it open. forward. Let's yeah. snap me too. Yes. Of I course. loved doing that. There was, <laughs> it was just something oddly satisfying about that flip of doing that with my hand. I don't know what it was, but you don't get that now with the 256 gigabyte cell phone. There's nothing to like trigger flip, whatever you want well, to call and plus that. Plus you're seeing the part of the disc you're not supposed to see. It's hidden. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can see that I can mm-hmm. see the actual floppy in there. I'd never talked to anyone on the planet about that, but I did the same thing with floppies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. And then you do it one time too many, and it, the little thing spring breaks, and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> the spring breaks. Right. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> That's okay. I've got a box. Of yeah. AOL will send me a new one. No right. worries. <laughs> Disket World got its first glimpse of the 120 megabyte super disk. While he can do the work of 83 of us, we both work in notebooks with a new super disk drive and can finally put an end to those clumsy add-on devices. I've Heard That Song Before is a podcast about the jazz standards of the great American songbook. You'll hear your favorite songs from artists like Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, Ray Charles, Frank Sinatra, and many more. Be swept away by the most memorable romantic classics of the jazz era while exploring a wide array of some of the greatest interpretations of this magnificent body of work with host and jazz musician, Joe Hunter. Listen to the new season of I've Heard That Song Before on your phone, tablet, or anywhere there is a podcast app. Or go to thefrontporchpeople.com. On our way from floppies to CDs, there was kind of a little bridge sort of technology that was there that people went one of two ways and it was kind of a VHS versus Betamax situation a little bit. Oh yeah. yeah I know for sure. I ended up okay. with uh, zip discs, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I Omega. John kind of went the other way. John went with one called super disc. Oh, I love the super disc. And you went real heavy with super disc as I remember, didn't you, John? I thought <laughs> it was the future of the planet. I thought super disc was going to be it. Yeah. I think <laughs> I remember, didn't you invest in stock in that company or something? Thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was just before you know he did his investment in AOL. You know, let's talk about iOmega. Let's talk about zip disks. Forget the super disk. But back okay, to your topic. Right. Let's go back to zip. Disk. Well, so iOmega was a new yeah. form factor. The zip disk. Yes. It was a bigger floppy, basically. Right. Right. It was pretty substantial. Mm-hmm. It was pretty beefy. And it could hold like 100 meg, I believe. Yeah, it was. A, they touted it as holding like almost 100 floppy disks, even though it wasn't quite that way. But right. that's what their sales pitch was. 100 floppy yeah. disks and one disk. Boom. And the downside of that is you need a separate drive, usually connected to the parallel port. It was a yep. different form factor mm-hmm. in order to access that. You're right. Right. Uh, and since you brought up my super disk, the reason I loved the super disk, I thought it was amazing. Uh, first, it held 120 megs. Ha ha ha. Right. It was so it, it held it more. more. Yep. But it was backward compatible to floppy disks. I remember it that. It was the same size. So laptop companies were going, well, yeah, you could invest in a zip disk, but we can put a, a super disk drive in the same place as a regular floppy. It'll still read floppies. But if you have a super disk media and plug it in, it'll hold 120 megs. And I'm like, this is it. Winner. This is the problem was we needed convenience and volume without having a new drive. And it fizzled. But yeah, it didn't. <laughs> you know, the only thing I can think that helped iOmega over the super disk format was just their commercials. I mean, they did a lot of advertising everywhere when they were first coming out. So maybe that was what 
ingrained them in the public consciousness enough that that was what people started asking for. So the companies just abandoned the super discs, but I agreed with you that I thought the super disc was the better format, but I still ended up using zip disc because it was the one that I could get more of. I mean, it was in more stores. It was easier to access. I'm sure it's several things I'm sure it's the fact that I Omega advertised more. I'm sure it's the fact that they were the first to market. Right. So they were out there already. And, and the bigger killer was frankly that CD ROMs were right around the corner here. Yeah. It wasn't very long before we hit that little market, but it wasn't until the mid to late eighties that the era of multimedia came came into play. How many computers mm. were sold that said multimedia computer? Yeah, really. Was oh, it a different right. kind? Yeah. <laughs> All it means is it's got a freaking CD-ROM drive. Right. And CD-ROMs were out for a while. That was great, but it wasn't until a little later in the 80s that the CD recordable came mm-hmm. out. Oh, right. It started being a viable replacement for floppies. You still got your calculator there, Mo? Yeah, yeah. So a CDR can hold 660 megs, if I recall. Uh, I think it was about 700, wasn't it? Seven. I remember 720. Was a little more. Maybe it was like seven, 720K on a floppy. Maybe. Wait, anyway, wait, let's let's call it 700. Nice round That's fine. So how many of those CDs would it take to, uh, to back up our 256 oh gig God. phone? <laughs> it would take. Holy cow. That's a lot of zeros, man. <laughs> you sure you're using that thing right? <laughs> so it would take about 260. 260 CD-ROMs. Yes. To store what's on my phone. Correct. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a it's a move in the right direction, at least. Yeah. At least we're uh, I don't have to carry around the, the hundred thousand floppies. <laughs> Another thing you have to remember is that like the three and a half inch floppy did not have enough storage to even store one song. Like you couldn't store a single song on that floppy. Yeah, when MP3 servers started coming out, unless they were really right. really horrible quality, there was no such thing. So now with the CD-ROM, now you actually had a medium that you could realistically put music on or video or anything right. else. And understanding. That 600 or 700 megs is roughly, you know, what, 200, 300 times. So a floppy was like 1.4 meg. This is 600 meg. So you're talking about a factor of hundreds of more volume of storage that you can right. place on that CD. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you said that we didn't have immediate. We did have cassettes that did pretty good at holding songs. I'm just saying I'm tired of redoing not my digital whole songs. album digital. collection <laughs> just because some schmuck wants to say that, you know, this media is better. No, my cassettes were just fine. Well, but if I downloaded from Napster, it was hard to get it on the cassette, though. That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> well, you just play it through your speakers and hold your boom box next to it. Press the record. Button. Yeah, that's high fidelity. That's what I'm talking there you about. Go. The downside of CDR, though, that didn't make it a just total floppy disk killer was that when they came out, they were write once, read multiple. So you could only write on it one time. Right. Yeah. So you had a CD recordable and it was a great way to back up stuff. But once you wrote to it, that disc was done. All you could do is read from it after that. Yeah. If you were lucky. Yeah, right. If you were lucky. Right. <laughs> Unless you were, you know, an idiot. Like uh, George and I were one time, where we were. <laughs> I was going to wonder if we were going to bring this one up. We were copying some software. We weren't pirating. We were just copying software. It was, it was public domain software. Let's let's say that. <laughs> when you're done, we, we wrote with a sharpie. What? No, you didn't write with a sharpie the first time. It was an ink pen. That's true. You wrote with an ink <laughs> yeah, pen. Yeah, that was what the problem was. And the ink pen it scratched the substrate <laughs> on the top of the disc, <laughs> which made it unreadable. So we copied it. It worked. 
Then I labeled it and it stopped oh, working. That's terrible. <laughs> yep. And we did that like three times. Yeah. Yeah. Before we figured out, oh, this is scratching these cheap CDRs that we have. <laughs> and that's when we found out that Sharpies didn't do that. So we started using Sharpies yep. to label all the CDs. <laughs> Sharpies then became a permanent part of my uh, computer arsenal. They tried to address the limitation of CDRs by introducing CDRWs. You could rewrite them. Right. RW. Do you know anyone that ever used a CDRW as a reliable method of writing and rewriting? data? Oh, absolutely not. Not as rewriting. No, I mean, I use CDRWs thinking that I would, but I never did. It's so impractical because unlike floppies before them and solid state memory that we'll get to, you had to master a CDR. You had to gather all the data you wanted. Right. You had to put it in a folder. You had to drag it into some authoring software and let it burn that disk. And that took time. Yeah. Just that term always made me feel like I couldn't do anything else with yeah. it. Burn the disk. I was I like, burnt the disk. Yeah, yep. that's it. <laughs> it's burnt. And you can't just add one file easily. You know, you have to remaster the disk and write a new index on it. And so RW just, that didn't make it a ton better. And then in 95, they introduced the DVD ROM. A lot more. The only upside between CD and DVD, more stories. Storage. You had the same limitations though, right? Right. But now you can store really good video, right? Which you couldn't yeah, do Yeah, now you're copying movies. Uh, public domain movies. Is that a thing? Can we say yes. Yeah, you're co- okay. public domain movies George was copying. <laughs> <laughs> right, they were improved. Sure, DVDs could store a lot more. Uh, and then, boy, your multimedia PC was big yeah. time when it had a DVD-ROM drive. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I could play movies on my computer on the <laughs> 9-inch CRT that you're watching your movies the on. <laughs> readable DVDs or writable DVDs were really expensive though compared to the CD prices. They were. They were yeah. stupid expensive. Not just that, but if you didn't want to go the Sharpie method of labeling your disc, you had to buy those special Neato labeling kits. Remember those things where mm-hmm. had the little plastic disc thing with the spring in the middle to hold the disc and the little sticky part, and you would smush it down on top of it. It's like a cylinder. You could punch it down and label yeah. the disc. With a, yeah. The, when you talk about the DVD RWs coming out, there was a category of DVD RWs, and I forget, I think it was Memorex that made them, oh, where yeah, they yeah. had a printable substrate surface on top of the disc. Mm-hmm. And you could then put that into specially designed printers. Special in a printers. Tray. Yeah, that's right. When I got that, I went whole hog into that. And I still probably have 30 or 40 of those things laying around somewhere. Jeez. Did you have some you printed on? Really? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I did all my public domain movie copying with. <laughs> <laughs> so did that accept like regular laser jet ink or was it etching it into the disc or what was it, it doing? It was regular laser jet ink and there were special printers. You know, I think I want to say it was yeah, HP certain brands. printer. Okay. Um, certain yep. brands. But they had this little tray. The little tray would pop out just above the place where the paper would come out normally. Mm -hmm. And instead, you would put the you would take your disc and slide it in just like a disc tray does into your computer. It would print all the ink on that instead of going into the paper. Well, it was really cool. I remember seeing those, but I never saw one actually done. I'll have to check one of those out when I'm over. I've still got like um, some of my public domain copies of SimCity that I can show you that I did that. (laughs) Just I didn't know that was in public domain yet. well, you know, it's it's the um, it's the Turkish version, which doesn't recognize American copyright law. I see. You, sir, are a liar. <laughs> the latest technology, the CD-ROM computer. This is a multimedia system. Now, it already has a 170 megabyte hard drive. That hard drive can be doubled to over 300 megabytes. This computer system is a 486SX, 25 megahertz, with included the Super VGA 28 dot pitch monitor, which is the best in the industry. 
we're just about caught up to where we are today. <laughs> we had our punch cards and our floppies and the public domain Sim City from Turkey. But <laughs> CDs and DVDs tried to kill the floppy, but they couldn't. What finally was able to kill the floppy was the introduction of semi-affordable solid state memory. And that was in the form of a, a relatively new port that was on some computers, the USB, right? this universal serial bus. They would take flash memory, plug it right into this uh, socket, and the advent of the USB memory stick or thumb drive, some people called them, came yeah, along. Yeah, that was huge. They were game changers. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it made transferring data really mobile. You put something on a memory stick, you felt secure that it wasn't going to get messed up. You weren't going to lose it. It wasn't going to get scratched. Yep. And you just plug into yep. the computer and the files would be there. It had no moving parts, nothing in it to break. Do you remember the first USB memory stick that you got? I do. I'm curious if you guys do. I, I actually still have mine right here in a drawer next to me. You have the first one you ever got? The very first one. Yep. Tell me about it. It's a little gray. It's all scratched up and everything. It's PNY. Uh-huh. What is this? I'm trying to, I can't even read the size on it. It's scratched off at this point, but yeah. I still have it. Okay. It probably still works. I should probably plug it in and see what's on it. Mo, how about you? God, do you remember? I'm trying to remember because uh, I don't know if I specifically remember the first one. I remember early ones I've had. Okay. Which maybe had a few meg on them. Yep. I remember the very first one I got. You guys have loved to remind me that I'm a notorious early adopter, you know, against my better judgment often. When they were first available, I remember browsing online. I came across one and I ordered it from some mail order place, you know, before there was even an Amazon to help you easily do that stuff. And I remember vividly, it was big. It's like half a Twinkie, right? So you had a Twinkie that you cut lengthways. Wait, was it a memory stick you know, or memory bar or memory tree trunk? It, it was fat, like a, like a memory bar. Well, let me tell you why. It had 128 megabytes wow. of solid state storage on that That's thing. So I don't know how many chips were inside of it. Did it overheat? No, 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 no. <laughs> I remember explaining to my wife, this is a memory card. And she's like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, it's like a floppy disk, but you plug it in your computer. It's like, well, floppy disks do that. No, no, you're not getting it. This stores the data. You're like, yeah, like CDs do. No, no. You're, okay, I'm not explaining it right. This. It's like having a whole other drive, like hard drive. And she's like, oh, so it stores more than a CD-ROM? Well, Not this yet. one doesn't. <laughs> you need a whole Twinkie for that. But it was. It was miraculous. I remember that vividly the first time using it. Like I remember the first time I used GPS technology. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, it knows where I'm at. It actually right. works. I remember plugging it in. And by the way, my computer at the time, I had to go around to the back of the computer to find a USB port. Mm -hmm. Convenient ports weren't a thing yet because That's right. the only thing you plugged in were keyboards and mice. There, nobody needed a USB port up front. Just barely. And they were just starting that. They were still PS2 yep. mostly. They had adapters when you shipped and you're right. So you go around back, you plug it in and I'm like, okay, what's, what's the magic? I'm waiting. That was probably Windows XP back then. And there wasn't like a bonk noise to tell you it was there. And I'm like, okay. And I open up my computer and there it is another drive. And I'm like, oh my God, it worked. <laughs> I must've spent 10 minutes putting files on it, taking files off of it. I'm like, it works just like a disc. So that's my memory of my first USB okay. stick. Wow. Now it's gone. I've had thousands since then. I've got 128 yeah. gig ones now, but yeah. it really changed the game. Yeah, it definitely did. Absolutely. I mean, I remember the first ones that I saw coming out as keychains. 
And that was when the portability thing that Mo was talking about really started to hit home. I remember people, especially technicians, like you go to the computer lab and the technician would come around and be like, oh, I got to put this software on. And he just reveled that he pulled out his big giant janitor keychain with USB <laughs> drives on it. Of memory cards. Yeah, yeah. just <laughs> jam one of them in there. Nope, wrong one. And it was like, you know, you can label those, right? And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a label maker that I label my regular memory sticks now. You know, it's less for what's the content and it's more for just like ownership. Right. I probably paid $200 for that first 128 meg one back, you know, whenever in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. But boy, I mean, now, I mean, they're so affordable now. Mm-hmm. It's stupid to get a cheap one because to make sure you get a, like a nice name brand non knockoff one, you get a huge one for under 100 bucks now and it's infinitely valuable. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah, now they're in the terabyte ranges. So are they? Memory sticks? Wow. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. We've walked through how storage has evolved over the years. Let's do a little uh, assessment of where we're at. So let's go through the types that we've had. And I want to know if you still have any of these that you use today. So any of you guys have punch cards you still use today? Anyone? No, 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 no. no, no. Do you have any cassettes, data or music of any kind that you still have access to and use? I still have a cassette, but I don't use it. I still have some cassettes. I don't think I've listened to one in a long time, but I still have it. it, I've got maybe one cassette, not for computer data. I have like one cassette. There was a uh, Stephen King book on tape that I could only get on cassettes. (laughs) I bought it. (laughs) Right. Seven inch floppies, anybody? Nope. No, never had one. Any five and a quarter inch floppies still around? No, I think I threw my last ones out last week or something. <laughs> I got a feeling you got rid of those a while ago. <laughs> yeah, no no five and a quarter. All right, we're getting closer. Three and a half inch floppies? Mm, yeah, I don't think I have any of those. No, I nope. trashed all mine. I, I might have one in the garage as well in a box, but uh, yeah. Unless I'm using one as a coaster somewhere. Right. <laughs> they did make good coasters later. Yep. So CD-ROMs, most likely, probably. Yeah, still got some Iffy? CD-ROMs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't use them st- a lot, I'm staring but, yeah. at a stack right now that I don't know why I have them. Like driver discs, probably. I have some CD-ROMs right. and DVD-ROMs that are driver discs that came with some card that I got, probably. Yeah, I, I got a stack of ones here, and I'm like, and some of them are like the read-writable ones that I'm like, I remember how much I paid for them, but... <laughs> I mean, I've still got all my public domain games and movies on CD-ROM. Does that count? I don't think they're public domain, though. That's the thing. You keep saying that. (laughs) Well, we're talking about the CDs that you have. You know, it's tough to play them now because with the advent of new storage, what don't most computers have anymore? They don't have disk drives, yeah. They don't have optical media drives. Disk drives at all. Yeah, it's not uncommon to buy a new computer and there's no optical drive at all. Yeah, Mephic cars are not coming with them anymore. Yeah, I was really surprised this Alienware laptop that I bought a couple of years ago, it actually still has a DVD drive in it. I was shocked. I was like, what's this slot? Oh, damn, that's a DVD drive. It's fairly uncommon, especially when they're trying to miniaturize and make things flatter and more tablet-y and hybrid stuff. You know, some of them don't even have uh, USB ports. They'll have like a single USB-C and you got to put a dongle on there to right. get a hub off the side. Yep. Just trying to micro. Oh, what about your USB sticks? I'm sure we all have those. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Use those, those, those regularly. Yeah. That's pretty much my, I mean, aside from internal fixed storage, hard drives and SSDs, the USB stick is the way to go. That's what I still use today. Except for the biggie. Let's go to the future now. In the 2010s, the introduction of the cloud. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much replaced my thumb drives, actually. I don't know how I survived 
doing what we would do with computers before we had cloud storage. Cause now it's so simple. Like I'm like, Oh, you know, I left this document. Oh wait, no, it's on Google drive, mm-hmm. you know, and just log in and download it and, or use it or whatever. It's an awesome tool. Now the cloud was always, it was such a buzzword when it first came oh, along yeah. and everybody said, Oh, it's cloud ready, cloud ready. We're in the cloud. It was explained to people that the cloud is just somebody else's computer. It's still right. a computer. It's not like that. There's it's no magic. Hard to understand. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's not like there's like a literal cloud something that these things are stored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, well, it'd be the cloud is, you know, when you're doing a networking diagram, you draw a cloud to represent right. the external network that you're going out to. So that became kind of, you know, the, the shorthand for it's out there available all the time. Right. I love the convenience of the, of the cloud, but I do miss a little bit. I mean, we've got our Steam library. All of our games are accessible. Mo, you've got the hundreds of games you just bought in Steam sale that you're not going to play. But I miss something about the old days of having my game on a three and a half inch floppy labeled in my handwriting in a box on a shelf, alphabetized. There's just there's a layer of tactile kind of personal contact with it that you lose with the cloud. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I mean, when I really got big into CD games and things like that, having that binder full of pages of CD mm-hmm. discs that you would flip through yep. and flip like, and you would say, Oh, here's disc number one, two, and three of, you know, wing commander or something <laughs> like that. And you would loan yep. them out to somebody and you would put a little card in that slot saying loan to John or something like that. Well, you guys are you know, way more oh, organized a good system. than I ever was. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I never thought of that loan out method, but I had the binders. Yeah. I don't know. There was something you're right. There's, there's a nostalgia that's built in there now that makes you reminisce about that trigger flipping of that three and a half inch window or mm-hmm. writing with a Sharpie on a CD to tell everybody about your public domain Sin City that, you're, that you've got, you know? I mean, <laughs> from Turkey. Right, yeah, yeah Turkish one. You know. I'm with you. When something is stored in the cloud, that means it's stored on internet servers instead of on your computer. It's like having an extra hard drive, one that you can access anywhere and anytime you're connected to the internet. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we've put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We'd love to hear from our fourth listener, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other episode to podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is so much more than just this podcast. You can also find our video content on YouTube or explore our entire body of work on our website at genxgrownup.com. That is going to do it for our backtrack on the evolution of digital storage. Before we leave you, though, I do want to appeal to you. We mentioned that we ask you to go to iTunes and give us a review and rating and all that kind of thing. We haven't had any of those in almost six months or so. It seems simple and obvious. I know that I and probably all of us are guilty of other podcasts we listen to. We hear that all the time. We never go to iTunes and leave a review or rating, even if we listen religiously. So just a quick appeal. If you are listening and you have not given us an iTunes review or rating, please go out there and do that. Even if you use Android, listen, <laughs> I use Android. George uses Android. Right. But I made him create an iTunes account yes, to go did. and give us a review on iTunes. <laughs> if that's all you use it for. Believe it or not, it helps a lot for other people to find us because the more ratings and reviews we have, the more searchable we are. So do us a favor. If you're listening, take a second right now, open iTunes and help us out. We'll read all the reviews we get on iTunes here on the show. So we hope you would take a second and do it. Right, guys? Absolutely, yep. please. And with that, I am John. George, thanks so much for being here. Yes, sir. And Mo, always appreciate you. Always fun, man. And most importantly, fourth listener, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
Bye bye. Bye everybody. See you guys. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown up? No games, no puns. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. George, thanks so much for being here. Yes, sir. And Mo, love you came. Yeah, okay. It's always fun, man. That's that sounded fucking odd. Love that you came. I know, it really was. I, I, love you I came. was trying to mix it up. Thank you. So am I. <laughs> oh yeah, appreciate it. Or however you reacted. <laughs> or however you saying. reacted. <laughs> All right, three, two. <laughs> like, oh. That was a good good show for Mo. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I'm spent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.